Well, good morning again. Welcome to Trinity. We're delighted to be able to gather together here in person or with us online. I won't ruin anyone's day and tell you that I graduated from high school in 1995, thereby making you feel very old, or ruin my day by telling you that and making me feel very old as you look at me and think, oh, you're so old. So either way, somebody's day is getting ruined with that fact. We've had the, uh, the privilege of being able to start in and, and wade our way into Paul's letter to the Ephesians. An incredibly rich letter, only six chapters long, three chapters talking about how amazing God is and our salvation, and then three chapters at the end talking about how that salvation shows up in the way we live. We're still just plugging right along in chapter one, and if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter one. We're going to look at verses 11, and 14, 11 through 14. As we said along the way, verses 3 through 14 are one, those words are just one long sentence in the original language, just one long cascading waterfall of incredible truth about God's grace to us and all that He is and all that He does. And we saw two weeks ago that we see that the Father planned and purposed this great redeeming work that the Son, last week we considered, accomplished this redeeming work, and then this week we're going to see how the Spirit applies that redeeming work to our lives and what it brings to our lives that we can hold on to right now. Let's read verses 11 through 14 as we consider this remarkable description. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Let's pray. God, we thank You for Your Word, and we thank You that we can come to it right now and set our heads and our hearts on it. We may come here frazzled or busy or feeling chaotic over the course of life of the week that was. Maybe we come here this morning anxious or concerned or especially mindful of the week that will be. Whatever it might be, God, we We pray that we would come right now attentive to your word, that we would indeed gain from a great encouragement for our hearts. God, we ask that you would be with the preaching, the hearing, the receiving, believing, and the trusting of this, your word, your glory and our good, we pray in Christ's name, amen. If I were to ask you, what is the greatest good of the gospel, what would you say? The greatest good of the gospel. Is it that God planned it all before there was ever time? Is it that the Son lived a life that we could never live to give us something we could never gain? Is it that the Spirit bursts into our dead, hard, and far hearts and brings life? I mean, all of those are incredibly good. They're the greatest of goods. They're beyond good. They're worthy of glory. But the greatest good of the gospel is God Himself. The greatest good of the gospel is God himself. The greatest gain of the gospel in our lives is God himself. 
the planning, the accomplishing, the applying of the redeeming grace of God in our, li- in our lives leads us to God Himself. The good of the good news is that you and I, we, nobody's in, an, in this world, in this life, in this time, and in this history, gain God. What a staggering joy. But what sort of assurance do we have that we will gain the greatest good of the gospel? This assurance is found in how thorough God has been in providing for us. And how the Spirit applies to our hearts the assurance of this, the most greatest good of the gospel, God Himself. Spirit does a work in us, mysterious to us for sure, but definitely felt in our hearts and our lives, in which the Spirit applies some things that we so desperately need in this life and in this world. The Spirit's applying work in our lives brings assurance. It brings assurance to our hearts, to our lives, to our faith. It brings assurance to us. And it additionally enables endurance. So when we think of all that God has done in planning and accomplishing, we see that God is very much involved in the applying it to our lives. And if God is in the planning and in the accomplishing and in the applying of it to our lives, then all of that in its totality is to bring assurance to us, to our weak and wobbly, weary hearts that are easily distracted, discouraged, or defeated. It brings assurance to us. And not only does that assurance come in very important and deep ways, but it enables us to endure, to keep on believing and following and trusting and loving and knowing, no matter what the circumstances of our lives. In short, God has thought of it all. He has thought through every possible scenario that we face in this life, and He has provided beyond measure every step of the way. And the more we focus on who He is and what He has done for us, as Paul does at the beginning of this most remarkable letter, the more assurance settles into our hearts that are easily anxious, and the more endurance comes to our lives that sometimes want to give way to apathy. We need all of this to be assured and to endure. And so we're going to consider these things as we close out this very long sentence in this most remarkable start to this most incredible letter. The Spirit applies this incredible work, bringing to us assurance, and this assurance is found first in what is said as an inheritance, as an inheritance. Looking again at verses 11 and 12. In Him, that is in the person and work of Christ, we have attained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. An inheritance. The person who trusts in the person and work of Jesus Christ gains an inheritance. And this inheritance in the Bible is is simply put, the dwelling with God forever. The dwelling with God forever. 
that the greatest good of redemption is that we receive God Himself. In the Old Testament, we can think of that as the promised land. The promised land was the inheritance of God's redeemed and rescued people. He was rescuing them out of something in order to rescue them into something. Out of slavery and bondage into a land where they would dwell with God and be His people. That story in the Old Testament reaches its zenith, its greatest display in the person and work of Christ and all that He has done for us. He has rescued us up out of slavery and bondage and rescued us into dwelling with God forever. And the work of the Spirit is applying that into our lives as we respond to that good news. In the New Testament, we see that this Old Testament land that was pointing forward to where God and people would dwell together, gets a bigger, even better, more glorious version and vision. It is a renewed and transformed cosmos. The entire created order is renewed and remade. What awaits the redeemed people of God is the renewed place where God and His people dwell together forever. Certainly this comes in full at the return of the king, but the Spirit's work is happening in our hearts, assuring us of such an inheritance, assuring us that your faith is not in vain, assuring us that what awaits in full measure we get to taste and know in some measure now. And all of this Inheritance is according to plan again for the third time in the passage. Paul, the apostle, writing this letter is stressing that this is according to the plan of God that predates time. It says that eternity future, this inheritance that we're hopeful for, looking toward, waiting upon, is actually anchored to eternity past. It's so sure because it's lasting forever because it's based on something that was forever. The inheritance is rooted in the purpose of God that was in place before time began. And as I said, three times in these verses, God's good and gracious purpose underscores the saving work of Christ and the ongoing work of the Spirit. And each time it's used, it's always attached to a very specific outcome. God chose you for what? To be blameless and holy. God predestined you for what? Adoption into His family. God predestined you for what? An inheritance that lasts forever where God and you will dwell together. God's work before time began wasn't based on, hey, I'm just going to provide the possibility and let's just see where this all goes. God's work, our purpose before time began, is to bring about these things. And it's hard sometimes to get our heads and hearts around those words. It's hard to get those concepts and, and to sink in deeply. And so to encourage us in that, it, it makes us wonder, well, who gets to be a part of all of this? And, 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 what, and what is the, the outcome of this and, and the people that I love? And like, how, how, how do I handle such staggering truths? 
I appreciate what one theologian said in terms of this gospel message, in terms of understanding what Paul's saying here in Ephesians chapter 1. He says, the front door reads, all are welcomed. And after passing through, it says, I have called you by name. All are welcomed. And I have called you by name. This is all according to plan. God pouring out his grace and his mercy to rescue us from something, to rescue us to something, is according to plan. And that good plan goes out in this thing called the gospel. It says all are welcome to come. Those who go through those doors through faith in Jesus find out that God had called you by name. What encouragement. How God has cared for all the details and applies that care to our hearts and to our lives. So that when we think of this future inheritance, it can lead to a present assurance. A present assurance. That we get to remind ourselves, even if our world feels a little bit out of control, our lives feel a little bit out of control. Maybe our days feel a little bit out of control. That we can rehearse this to our hearts and say to ourselves, God is in control and God is gracious. He is in control and yet He is gracious. And we can say to ourselves, Christ is sufficient for all of this, for me. And what Christ has done is sure, it's steady, it's forever. So even when things feel tumultuous in our lives, we can still say what we have in Christ is sufficient and sure. And then we can say that God is definitely worthy of our worship. And we can anticipate the day in which our faith moves to sight and we worship Him with Him before him. That future inheritance that God has secured for us and applies to our lives brings a present day assurance. So it's not only an inheritance that the Spirit is working in us to understand and to know, but it's also to understand and know that the Spirit himself is the guarantee of that inheritance. Look again at verses 13 and 14 or at least the beginning part of 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. The guarantee of our inheritance. The Spirit seals us up as the guarantee of our inheritance. There's a number of things that are associated with sealing in Paul's day. It it carried with it an important meaning that was very layered and would have meant something intently important to the people that he was writing to. In Paul's day, to have something sealed up conveyed three things that are important for us to understand and apply to our hearts right now. First is to seal, as the Holy Spirit seals up this guarantee to us, the Holy Spirit affirms that God has saved us, affirms to our hearts that God has saved us. This affirmation authenticates that God has indeed worked in you. 
convicted you, drove you to Jesus, converted you, united you to Christ, and is now changing you to be more and more like Christ until the day you see Christ. The Spirit's work in you is leading you through that. It is affirmation saying that the power at work in you is not something you mustered up from deep within. It isn't you being your true self. It's not you fulfilling your destiny. It's the God of the cosmos at work in your heart. You're not left to yourself, to your own devices or ingenuity. God who spoke all things into existence out of nothing is at work in you. Personally, the Holy Spirit. Not not a subordinate, the third person of the Trinity. Not a messenger sent with a document to read to you. But the Spirit of God alive at work affirming in you. A power at work in you through the gospel. The Son secured your salvation. And the Spirit seals it up and affirms it into your hearts that this indeed is from God. Secondly, a seal also says that it is secured. It secures that we, our very lives, are secured by God's authority and power. In ancient days, in Paul's day, that which carried the seal of a king was secured in that it would not change. There are twofold aspects. There's a, 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 a security between the one who seals and the one who is sealed. The message of that sealed work of the king, that proclamation of the king, it's protected, it's backed by his authority. And also... It's between those who are sealed and those who would seek to steal or take or prevent or manipulate. That seal is to help protect whatever that message is. And so the people of God are protected by the sealing work of God who, who through the Holy Spirit, secures by God's authority and power and says to us, nothing separates us from God, for God has sealed us. If something could indeed separate us from God, then that something would either have to have greater authority or greater power than God. And there is nothing anywhere, ever, with greater authority and greater power than God. The Spirit in you is the seal that secures you in the all-powerful, faithful, promise-keeping, enemy-defeating love of God. I love what Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 28. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. What assurance. What an assuring truth for our hearts that no one will snatch us out of his hand. The Spirit in its sealing work affirms to us, secures us, and then thirdly marks us. We are marked as belonging to God. A seal marks ownership. It, not only does it carry with it an authenticating and securing power, but it also goes about marking ownership. 
And Scripture overwhelms us with the truth that God looks at His people as a treasured possession. His treasured possession. In fact, verse 14 it could be better rendered until God redeems His possession. You may even have that footnote in your Bible that says it could possibly be translated like that. It is to understand that when God looks at us, He doesn't look at us as an obligation or as something that is a lot of work. He looks at us as a treasured possession. We may look at each other like that. That person's a lot of work or that person's an obligation. But God doesn't look at us like that. He calls us treasured sons and precious daughters. That's what is happening here. I love how he says it in Malachi 3.17. In the Old Testament, it says, They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. The work of the Spirit applying all that God purposed and all the Son accomplished is to reinforce these truths to our hearts. To bring about assurance in us. There's so much of it in Scripture. It's an overwhelming amount. And I I think that the overwhelming amount of, of how Scripture paints such a very clear picture of God's involvement in every possible way of our salvation is to assure our hearts because we're so easily distracted or discouraged or defeated. Here we find that this guarantee, the Holy Spirit Himself, is a present guarantee that leads to even further assurance in our lives. That nothing will dislodge you from God. That might be hard for some of us in here to believe. You feel very dislodged in life. The work of the Spirit is applying these truths to us so that we may know that nothing will dislodge us from God. That the mess of your life is bound up in Christ. My wife had a Bible that she had when she was a teenager. She wore through that Bible. She loved it. The notes, the pages, the highlights, the coffee stains, you know the whole deal, right? Right? The binding got all messed up and the pages started falling out. She loved that Bible. And obviously it's the Bible, but also just the many memories of which God brought truth to light to her head and to her heart as she studied that Bible. So for one Christmas, I grabbed it and I sent it away and had it rebound. All those pages that were starting to fall out, we, we got them rebound in and, and, and nice leather and and was a joy to be able to give that to her. Maybe you feel like your life is like that book, where your life is filled with pages that have been unbound, pages that are scattered everywhere. Some of your pages are stained with the junk food of this world. Some of your pages are torn and wrinkled and faded. You've not treated those pages well. Some of your pages are lost and damaged beyond recognition. The Holy Spirit takes the mess of our lives, gathers up all of our scattered pages, even the shredded ones, and binds them up in Christ. 
He puts a new cover on us. And he stamps the inside. This belongs to God. Maybe we need to hear that this morning. Because maybe we feel that scatteredness in our hearts and in our lives. Maybe we need a timely reminder of the assuring work of the Holy Spirit that says, your mess is not too much for me. Maybe we need to be reminded that, no, you may feel scattered, but you're not far from me. You're my treasured possession. For those of you in here who have heard the gospel and have believed and have put your trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, There is no scattering of your life that's too hard for the Spirit to bind it all up. Give you a new binding and stamp on the inside of your heart, you belong to me. And with that assurance comes in our lives hearts that are enabled to endure. Hearts that are enabled to To endure. To endure through all that life comes. All that what may be. To endure through all the joys and all the sorrows and all the things in between. To keep enduring. Even when it feels impossible. Look at the rest of verse 14. So speaking about the Holy Spirit. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory until we acquire it. That means that there's a long road between this day and the day that you get to be with your God for all eternity. That the past purpose and that future glory, it can both, both looking to the past and what God purposed and looking to the future where that purpose ends. Both of those directional looks can lead to present day endurance. Now certainly, the second half of Ephesians will get into the many challenges and obstacles and joys and provisions of grace for the believer who lives between the gracious purpose of God anchored in eternity past and the glorious inheritance lasting eternity future. We will tackle all of those as we go through the second half of this letter. But our days right now, our days today, now are hard, and they are filled with a number of things that war against the assuring work of the Spirit. Our days are hard and they're filled with distractions. Good things can be distractions. Bad things can be distractions. Any things can be distracting. They can distract us from the enduring dynamic of the faith to, to, dis, to distract us with something to consume our hearts, whether good or bad, are totally indifferent. There are plenty of distractions available to us. And we bring all those distractions when we come and gather together. That's why corporate worship is so important. When we gather together for corporate worship, we are fighting against those distractions. We're doing something that is totally unique in our, the course of our week. There isn't anything like this that you're doing in the course of your week. And it is enabling us and equipping us and encouraging us 
against the distracting nature of our hearts in a very distracting world. Our days are hard. We need to be constantly reminded and constantly rehearsing, constantly singing, constantly praying, constantly preaching these truths to our hearts because distractions are abounding. Our days are hard. Not only are they filled with distractions, but they're also filled with discouragements. Life does not go as it should. We spent the summer looking at Ecclesiastes to reinforce that truth. It doesn't go as it should or as it, you would think it would make sense to go. Sometimes relationships change. And sometimes that change is not for the good. Sometimes jobs are lost and, and those can be lost unexpectedly in the most inconvenient of times. And sometimes health hinders us from enjoying the life that we have. It makes it extra difficult and therefore all the more discouraging at times. We can feel the encroaching, suffocating dynamic of life that brings about discouragement. And so all the more we need to remind and to rehearse and to rest in and rejoice over the truths of what the Spirit is doing. It is the Spirit is working in us so as to enable our hearts to endure until we acquire possession of it. Till we come to the full knowledge of this glorious inheritance. Spirit is working in us because life is hard and it's filled with discouragements. And our days are hard and filled with defeats. Not only is distraction abounding, not only is there plenty to be discouraged over, but if we're honest, we know the feeling of defeat. We know that sin wages on, and sometimes we sink into it to our shame and our despair. And we feel the defeated nature of that sinking despair. And we start to tell our thing, ourselves things that aren't true, that God doesn't care about us. That God is disgusted with us. But God wouldn't do anything for a person like me. And we start to believe those things. The work of the Spirit is countering the way that our heart can be deceitful above all things. Countering those lies that we want to sink into. Yes, sin is awful. But grace, the grace of God is greater than all our sin. It speaks a greater word, a better word, a truer word. Yes, sin is defeating, but Christ defeated it. Yes, sin wages on, but the Spirit is greater than the flesh that is in us. And we need to rehearse these truths to us again and again and again. Because the world is indeed hard. Our days are hard and filled with these sorts of distractions, these sorts of discouragements, and these kinds of defeats. But Paul's looking at this from an entirely different perspective. He's not looking at it from necessarily the human perspective. He's looking at it from the perspective of God. From God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. From their work. And Paul, instead of seeing all the things that could go wrong, sees the God who does great things, the glorious things, who overcomes all the wrongs of our lives. And he sees great encouragement to endure. The work of the past anchors us. And the hope of the future propels us 
And the present presence of the Spirit now enables us. So much so that we might find ourselves better understanding what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. He says this, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. Our days are hard, and there are all sorts of distractions and discouragements and defeats, but they are not greater than what God has done for us, what He's purposed in eternity past, what He has secured for eternity future, and what He brings to our lives in the right now. Those things are not greater than our God. And they enables our endurance. And enables our endurance to the praise of His glory. And it's the praise of His glory in all circumstances. The rest of verse 14 says that the Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. The ultimate outcome of the Spirit implying the inheritance and guarantee to our lives is praise and glory to our God. There is no other duty as delightful than giving praise to God for this glorious redemption we have in Christ. It certainly speaks to us in our many turbulent circumstances. Whether everything in your life bottoms out and you live the rest of your life feeling the weight of those consequences, there is still yet a greater joy and hope yet to come because God has redeemed you from the pit of your sin and has rescued you to him forever. And while we live with the consequences of sin, sin's condemnation on us is broken by Christ, and you will always, in all the turbulent days of your life, have reasons to delight in God. But it's to join Paul in looking at this from the perspective of God who planned, accomplished, and applies this most glorious redemption. That's the greater truth. Let that truth speak into the days of your lives. Because one day, our wobbly legs will land on the shores of glory. Beleaguered, beat-down saints will come to know the forever joy of resting in the presence of of their redeeming God. One day, our faith, so often mixed with doubt, battered with distractions, soured with discouragements, languishing in moments of defeat, that threadbare faith will one day move to sight. Why? Because you mustered enough strength to do it? Because God has so thoroughly loved you. He has loved you in eternity past. And he loves you eternity future. And in that love, he has provided all you need to make it to the very end. Signed, sealed, and delivered. You're his. Let's pray.
God, we thank you. You have purposed and brought about and bring into our lives this most glorious redemption. That you have rescued us from from our sin, from the death and separation it deserves. You have rescued us to life with you forever. And I pray that any heart in here that might be hard or far from that message, that you would do a powerful work even now in this moment and bring life where there is death. Bring hope where there is none. Now would you assure our hearts, we, if honest, even in this very moment, may feel like we have a very wobbly and weak faith. Would you assure our hearts all the more of the scope and the magnitude, the immensity of your love for us through Christ. Spirit, would you bring the truth of that to rest happily in our hearts and strengthening our lives so as to follow after you in a world that is so good at distracting and discouraging and defeating. And God, may we one day know in full measure when our faith moves to sight the goodness of the gospel we behold you we pray in Jesus name amen let's stand as we sing one more song song makes me think of Acts 1-8, the first part of it. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you.